Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, and you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy, presented by the Right Pack Radio Podcasting Network. Prepare to ignite. Is there a burning desire within to share your creativity with the rest of the world? Do you insist on pursuing your passion by any means necessary? Then you are on an Excelsior journey, and you are not alone. Hello and welcome to Excelsior Journeys brought to you by the Right Pack Radio Podcasting Network. My name is George Soroy. Thank you very much for being here. And welcome to part two of our uh, bonus two-parter of focusing on two different panels that were done at Archon 42 uh, in Collinsville, Illinois this past October. As I said in part one, I was lucky enough to uh, be chosen to moderate two different panels over at the weekend-long convention over in Collinsville. Uh, it's a great fantasy sci-fi convention. I've been there several times already, and I'm already looking forward to next year. What uh, what this particular panel discussed was the alternate paths to publishing. Too many people think that the only that there are only two ways to get involved in getting your work out there. Um, it's either through one of the big five that's in New York, or uh, just throw it up on Amazon and see what happens. Um, that is not the case. There are a lot of different methods that uh, the people uh, the people consider when they decide that they are going to publish their work. Uh, so what you're going to hear when we come back from our break is not only myself, but you're also going to hear from author Brad R. Cook. Uh, you're going to hear from author uh, Debbie Mamber-Kupfer, and you're going to hear from author Camille Fay. Uh, we answered questions. We talked about which path we chose, and it turns out that all of us have relatively different paths. Um, in fact, uh, Debbie and I basically did the reverse, um, like the total opposite, basically. Uh, she started out in um, with a small press and then decided to go into self-publishing. I started out in small publishing and went with, um, went with a small press for both Excelsior and Ever Upward, and then just did the self-publishing route with From Parts Unknown, since I knew that that was a niche um, that was a niche project anyway. So um, this is this was a lot of fun. We answered some questions. We, like I said before, we talked about our different journeys. And so this is an ideal episode for the Excelsior Journeys podcast. So when we come back, we're going to dive right in. Looking forward to your feedback. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. If you've never been an Audible customer and want to see what they offer, just go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs, download a title for free, and start listening. It's that easy. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. And with this free 30-day trial, you'll have your pick of it all. You can hear books of all genres narrated by Jim Dale, Stephen Fry, Will Patton, Alex Hyde-White, Jeff Brick, Neil Shaw, William Demerit, and even a few by me, George Soroy. So go to www.audibletrial.com slash Journeys and start your own 30-day journey with Audible today. Um, as the, as the moderator for this, uh, for this panel, just want to say thank you guys for being here. Um, I hope that, uh, the end of our con. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. You guys have, you know, made it all the way. You guys are right, right at the finish line. This is awesome. And, um, what we're going to do, we're going to start off just by introducing ourselves and not talking about the actual path that we took. We're going to save that for after the introductions. Um, so we're just going to focus on, you know, like who we are and what we have done in terms of our, um, in terms of our books and everything else. So my name is George Saroy. I am an author of uh, YA Sci-Fi. Um, I'm also the president emeritus of the Missouri Writers Guild. Um, I have two YA books that are out right now, which are Excelsior and its sequel, Ever Upward. And I also have a podcast that uh, goes up weekly called Excelsior Journeys, which just launched uh, this past week. You can get it on Podbean and Stitcher. Brett? 
Uh, yeah, uh, thanks all for coming. I'm Brad R. Cook. I am the author of uh, The Iron Chronicles, uh, which is The Iron Horseman, Iron Zulu, and Iron Lotus. I am also the author of The Airdranium Adventures, which is for kids. Uh, all of that is uh, YA or middle grade steampunk. Uh, I am also the historian of St. Louis Writers Guild and past president of St. Louis Writers Guild. If you're at all interested, I got stuff on St. Louis Writers Guild too. My name is Camille Fay, and I write paranormal romance. Um, my, I'll talk a little bit about this in my path story, but um, this book is the first in my series called Voodoo Butterfly, and I entered it in a nationwide contest, and it placed, so that's kind of started me down my path. Um, the sequel is Emergence. Uh, the third one is due out in April. And I'm writing the fourth one, hoping to have that done by Christmas, and then want to start the fifth one. Um, I have also been involved in the Missouri Writers Guild and a few of its chapters because I've moved around the state of Missouri with my husband's job. So that's been cool to get to know different parts of the state. But um, currently we're in St. Louis, so I'm in the St. Louis Writers Guild, and I'm still a member of the Missouri Writers Guild and, and was a secretary for them. So um, definitely join your local writer group. It's a big help for networking, peace of mind, getting to get out and be among real people. It's a good thing. Okay, I'm Debbie Mambakupfer. I'm the author of the YA fantasy series, Pause. Um, I have four books out currently, and as, as George says, still it's still Archon. So if anybody wants to wants to buy a copy, I'm still selling them, and I can give you. I have four left of these little buttons that I was giving away to people who bought my copies. So the first four people that will get one of these too. Um, I also, apart from this, I write children's books as well. I did a children's panel this morning for little kids and read them my my, my dragon story. And I write puzzles for both the for puzzle magazines and my website Pause for Puzzles. So it's kind of various hats I have out there. Um, I don't drive, so I don't get to a lot of the writer group things that people say. But what I do try to do is each November I try, I do NaNoWriMo. And I'm very, I love the local group. I don't get to go to all the writings, but I try to go to the beginning, I try to go to the end, keep touch with people, and that's a really good motivation if you're writing. And that's what started me on my path to books. My, all my books started as nano projects, and I highly encourage it because it's all, I never finished a book before I tried nano It's like, now here I am. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually uh, doing a double dip of NaNoWriMo this year, so I am, you know, like as someone who only finally you know, finished it once, and that was in June, so it wasn't even like an official NaNoWriMo it book. Camp ran on that. Yeah, well, it, it was before that, you know, it was, okay. yeah, it was before that, but at the same time, it was during the uh, time when it was the Southern Cross Novel Challenge, so it was same thing as NaNoWriMo, only it's 50,000 words in June instead of in November, so, um, but anyway, um, since... This is all about the alternate paths to publishing, and we all pretty much represent very different paths that you can go to. Um, mine, my personal one started off as self-published. Um, I had a, uh, I had one book that was, uh, that I called From Parts Unknown, that still exists. Um, it started off as a video game concept, and then it was a treatment for a script, and then it was many drafts of a script. And then finally it was, I decided to turn it into a novel, and when I did, I reached out to uh, an acquaintance who was an agent at the time, and his, uh, his words were, maybe it should be self-published. Now, this was back in 2002, uh, during a time before Amazon had you know, really made its mark in, this, in the publishing game. And so self-publishing was very much you know, confined to um, ex-liberous representatives calling you at all hours of the night and asking you to invest in their $1,000 package that they had, um, where you can sell your copies for 25 bucks because they priced them at 20. So that, uh, it was not, it was not a good time, you know, for, uh, for self-publishing. Um, but anyway, I took advantage of a, of a deal that iUniverse was, was doing where they offered all the setup and hardcover set, um, set up for just $200. So I went ahead and took that. I got my copies and, once friends and family bought their copies, then it eventually died. And I went on to 
self-publish a, um, a different book, which was the first iteration of Excelsior. Um, and that wound up eventually, what I did for that one, instead of just putting out money for the setup charges, I reached out to uh, friends, family, fellow writers, everyone on social media, and I basically just said that I'm doing an early bird package. If you, uh, if you purchase, uh, for, purchase your, your copy ahead of time for just $17.95, then you're not only guaranteeing your own signed copy, but you're also going to have your name listed in the acknowledgement section in the back of the book. And suddenly, people who just wanted to have their name in a book reached out, and I wound up getting you know more than more than a hundred pre-orders, and I wound up covering all of my setup costs, all of my printing costs, and all of my shipping costs for everyone that I was you know mailing their books out to. So for that one, you know, like it's one of those things where people say that you know, like oh, self-publishing, you had to pay to get it published. No, I didn't. My readers did, and that's what it's really all about. Um, since then, in 2013, it wound up getting picked up by a small press. And when that small press went out of business, another small press was interested and they said, we really like this, Can you? Um, would you be happy with doing another round of edits on it? So that way we can, we can kind of tighten things up because we think it's good right now, but it can be better. And with your, you know, like with your assistance and everything, we believe it can be better. So I said yes. They had their editor take a sledgehammer to it, and so I spent two months rewriting it, and now it's the best it can possibly be. I swear I'm not writing it again. <laughs> and they, uh, the same, uh, the same editor took a sledgehammer to Ever Upward once that was finished, and so I spent several months rewriting this one. And so both books are as good as they can possibly be, and so it was. And then these books actually wound up uh, leading to. Last month, you guys are you know knowing this now, you know, like, but just last month at another convention called PenCon, I wound up actually getting agents. So for future projects, now all of a sudden I have another path to that. So it started out just self-publishing, and then it went to a small press. Then it wound up going to another small press that offered a lot more that led to agents. So that that was my path. So I'm going to let um, let these three. Um, fill in just as much space as I did on that, so um, go for it. Yeah, so um, I guess, uh, let's see, which path haven't I taken? No. Um, exactly. So, no, um, in truth, um, I started back uh, many years ago and uh, was not, uh, I started off as a playwright um, and decided that that was a lot of fun and that's where I wanted to put a lot of my energy and my first two plays actually made it on a stage, which was shocking. <laughs> Um, and out of that, uh, I became, uh, there's not much to do as a playwright, especially in this town, uh, and uh, didn't feel like moving to New York at the moment, so I went into technical writing and wrote for corporations and fun stuff like that. Uh, but then my first, uh, not my first novel, but uh, Iron Horseman, uh, which is this one right there, got uh, actually uh, an agent uh, totally loved it and wanted to totally make something out of it, but she wanted me to make a ton of changes. So we spent six months making changes, and then she was like, yeah, now I'm going to pass on the book. So no worries. Uh, it, it happens. Um, but uh, out of that and with the uh, YA that I had, um, I found a publisher for it, a local publisher, and uh, they ran with it. And I had that series ran its course, uh, the first book, second book, third book. It was great. Um, I have also been in publishing. I was an acquisitions editor and uh, layout and cover designs for uh, Blank Slate Press, uh, which is a small local uh, historical press that uh, they're still around. They're now they've been bought up by uh, Amphora, which is a local press here in town. Um, but yeah, so that is definitely a path. And then out of that, I've started my own self-publishing company, where I publish my own books. The first of which was Steam Tree: The Aerodranium Adventures. Uh, which is a middle grade uh, for kids, and it's illustrated and all that kind of stuff. It's great. I love it. Um, out of that, the, I've got two more slated for the end of this year, and then uh, I've got at least two coming out from my own publishing company next year, and I'm still writing, and uh, just queried uh, agents yesterday uh, with my next project. So there are a ton of paths to walk down, those aren't even all the paths. The mm -hmm. only thing I would throw out real quick is uh, George brought up the self-publishing arm of uh, what we call vanity presses. 
uh, which are those uh, places that will charge you thousands of dollars and give you a book. Um, the only thing I can say is please stay away. Um, and as we were talking on Friday, uh, there's a golden rule in publishing that money should flow to the author, not from the author. And the only exception goes if you are hiring people to do work for you. Uh, if you want to hire a cover or a cover illustrator, that's awesome. If you want to hire somebody to do layouts, you want to hire somebody to do edits, you know what you're getting. Just don't hand somebody five grand and let them give you a book. It doesn't cost that much. Yeah. Good words of wisdom. <laughs> I love that. Um, and actually, there's some people that are going to prison for ripping people yes. off. The Tate Publishing the people. They're, yeah, they're in jail. For fraud, yeah. Or they are in jail, yeah. But the best part is their secretary restarted the business. You're kidding Yeah, me. and now they're trying to get rid of that business. Oh, oh my gosh. So good. Yeah. Just keeps going. Keeps the scammers going. are out there in yeah, force. Yeah. It's, it's real. Okay, so my um, path to publishing was a long and arduous one. Um, I started <laughs> writing um, in 2009. I had this dream in New Orleans whenever I was visiting about, and some of you may have heard of, heard it, but there was a ton of butterflies floating above New Orleans, swirling above New Orleans, and then the next flash was um, this woman who wanted somebody to attack her because once they touched her, they would she would change them from evil to good. And so I just had those two little blips, and I furiously wrote that down in my journal. It was like a page and a half put it away, and then in 2009, I left teaching to stay home with my kids, and I was teaching writing, and I was just talking with a writing teacher here. When you're teaching writing, your writing brain, it gets so depleted, and you have nothing left to do your own writing. So as an effect of me deciding to stay home with my kids, I said, okay, I've always wanted to write a novel that's on my bucket list. I'm doing it because my my adult mommy brain needs some stimulation because otherwise I'm not going to make it through this period of my life. So I would just write during nap times or when the kids would go to bed, preschool, any spare little minute. Sometimes it was only 15 minutes a day, so that's a big tip that I tell people. I wrote the first draft of Voodoo Butterfly um, in one year committing to 15 minutes a day and I really only work Monday through Friday because I do save the weekends for the family so a lot of times it would turn into an hour and that would be good and I'd be happy with that sometimes I was like I hate writing I'm never doing it again I'm doing this 15 minutes and then that's it and so then I do my 15 minutes and I quit and that was it and I did my 15 minutes and I committed to it so that was um, how that book got created then I started querying agents and editors, heard zilch back, and I'm sending them out, sending them out, sending them out, hearing nothing back, Googling, how do I write a strong query letter, and then spending so much time writing those query letters, you know, <coughs> then you're wasting time that you could be writing. So I was revising it, and um, I belong to several writers groups. There's one down in Branson, and there was an agent coming from New York City, and they were taking pitches. And so I just read during open mic, and he came up to me afterwards and said, I want to read your manuscript whenever you're done, and I wasn't finished yet. You can never query people, or I'm sorry, I wasn't done with that yet. So you can't query people until you're finished with your manuscript. But I had met this guy whenever I was halfway through, and he said, I like your work. I want you to send it whenever you're finished. So that's what I did. But as a result of pitching to that guy, I found out about the Missouri Writers Guild Conference where you can also pitch to agents and editors. And so over the years, so this got finished in 2010, over the next few years, I was pitching to editors and agents like once or twice a year I'd go to conferences. And I would say about 15 or 16 agents or editors, you know, asked to read at least a few chapters, maybe the full manuscript, um, you're going to have a way higher likelihood of them actually reading it than doing the query process if you go meet them in person. And like I said, I was able to pitch at the Missouri Writers Guild before it was finished too. I just had to, during the pitch, say it's not finished yet, but this is the concept. So it's, it's a much 
I think you have a higher success rate of actually getting your work into the hands of an agent or an editor doing that way. But traditional publishing slammed the door in my face. And so then I was like, okay, I think I can self-publish. Uh, indies were doing much better. Self-publishing became a more viable option for people. And I really did my research and I found people who are hugely successful. Uh, Tracy Garvis Graves, she has a great, um, she has a great uh, page on her website. She actually was able to sell her movie rights for On the Island. It's a book and it got picked up after it self-published and she sold like 360,000 copies. And then the traditional publishers were like, oh, by the way, uh, we would like to buy that from you. And so, anyway. Um, did she take it? Yeah, she did take it. I, she I did. certainly know someone online that didn't. Oh, um, okay. That's Leia Stone, who's had the same experience, but she's still Yeah, still yeah. <laughs> I think she does traditionally publish yeah. now. But um, I went to her website because I thought she was successful at it. There's a lot of self-published mm -hmm. authors out there, but you have to go to see who's successful and how did they do it. And so you have to make a team. So anybody who's, any traditional publishing house has an art department. They do book covers. They hire a few editors to work with you from developmental edits to, um, you know. Content the, editing. Yeah, content editing, the very final, um, what's that called? Proofreading. Proofreading, yeah. So you're proofreading the copy. So there's different people that they hire to make that the best book. And then you think you're going to go in and not hire people like that and that you're going to have, you know, readers that are happy. I've known so many self-publishing authors that go into it and they're friends of mine, writing teachers or whatever. They don't hire people to do these things for them. And I just cringe every time I run across, there's another little error. There's another little typo. And oh. it's like it takes you out of the story and that's there's an effect to you not not spending the money for your team so I was all ready to go you know setting aside from what I saw for the people that I was researching about $2,500 for a book that was for cover format um, the, the content editor the developmental editor uh, formatter all the things uh, and also some of your initial marketing to launch the book. So that was what I had in my head. In the meantime, uh, St. Louis, Louis author Angie Fox, I don't know if anybody knows who she is, I heard her speak at a conference and she writes paranormal romance and she was a big inspiration to me and she was published by the big publishers in New York City and she said during her um, session that I entered a bunch of contests uh, with chapters of Romance Writers of America and those are judged by industry professionals so she was getting her work in front of all these eyes of editors agents in New York City and that's how she ended up landing a publishing contract and so I thought okay before I go this route and I'm gonna invest all this money let me just try that last thing I'll just do one last thing and so I sent it to like four different places. St. Louis has a Romance Writers of America chapter, Seattle, Houston, and then there was one more, but I can't remember off the top of my head. It actually didn't do great. And um, my first 25 pages is what you normally send. It didn't do great in St. Louis. It didn't do great in Seattle, but I got almost 100% from all three of the judges um, down in Houston. So Texans love my work, I guess. <laughs> and, and so um, as a result of getting such high marks I got advanced to the next level and then it got read by agents editors of publishing uh, houses and so that's how I did get offered a contract and now it was with a small publisher in New York but not New York City and so then I kind of had to make that decision do I want to self-publish or do I want to take this contract, you know, and I, and it's a small press, so I wasn't being offered in advance. Um, but I also wasn't having to invest $2,500 of my own money that I was planning to do, 2,500 to 3,000. Mm -hmm. And I decided to go with my small publisher because I asked around and there's other writers that I know in the writing community that work for her and they love working with her and she used to be a high school English teacher so she's very nurturing and good at cultivating 
a relationship with you and give and take, the big publishing houses won't do that. Yeah. They'll mm -hmm. just tell you, this is the way you're going to edit this. This is the way you're going to revise it. And we're not going to let you give your input. This is this will be your cover. And I've gotten to help like shape my covers, which I really love. I was inspired by the Twilight series. And so I like wanted something like that. And so that's how I ended up on that path was I said, okay, I could self-publish this, but I don't know enough about the industry yet, so I'm going to hold off, and I am open to doing that in the future. I'll finish out the series with my publisher because I love her. I'm learning a lot about the publishing industry from her and editing and the bookmaking process, so that's kind of my journey. So. Hi. Um... I, um, well, back in 20, well, my journey to course, back in um, 2012, I um, went to cancer treatment. And um, I'm really lucky, I'm a survivor, I have my chemo, I have my, my thing, and I'm, and, my surgery and today I'm a survivor from that many years. But going through cancer, all through my life I've been writing. And but I wrote little stories, I wrote started novels, I still do different things, but I never finished anything and my thought was always, well you have time to do that later. When mm -hmm. the kids are bigger, when they're you know, you'll have time, you can do things. And then going through cancer decided me, well no, maybe I don't have the time. Maybe if I really want to finish a novel, if I really want to write, I need to do it now. So in um, yeah, so in twenty twelve, so in November of twenty twelve, I tried Nano I I had this vision in my head, a bit like what you were saying. I had this like little image. This in my case of a of a young girl being given a silver cat charm by a grandmother. And I knew it was important, I knew there was a story behind it, and I wanted to write that story. So I sat down November 1st, 2012, and started writing, and wrote, and wrote, and wrote that whole month long. And at the end of the month, I wrote the end on the first draft of course. And I didn't know what, to, and it was just, it was coming to me. I didn't even think publish, publish, whatever. It wasn't the idea. The idea was like, I had the story inside me, I wanted, I wanted to get it down. So I started after that going over it and over it and over as you do. And then in the January following that, I thought I took a bit of my courage here because normally I didn't like sharing my writing. I, didn't, I said I've been writing stories all my life, but I very rarely shared them with anybody at all. So I took my my chat my first chapter of my new stories to a local writers group. And I said to someone sitting in this room who was in that first meeting, <laughs> you were in there, that first meeting when I read my first um, my thing, and I read it aloud, and people kind of looked at me. And I thought, God, is it really that bad? <laughs> but then I didn't know this, but the people in the group were talking about me afterwards. And one of the people who was in that group, also had just started a small press of her own and was being encouraged by the other people to maybe take my book off. But I didn't really know at this point. So I started trying to query agents. It's, I discovered, although I could write all these words, because my book ended up being about 65,000 words, um, I couldn't write a query letter. I tried to query a couple of people, it was horrible, and I, I got instant rejections, and I was like, this is not going to work. So, one day, I was chatting with the person, small press, about, well, what, what would I have to do if I sent the book to you? And she said, just send it to me. So I did. And she accepted it. And I ended up very fast from writing the book in November, the following June, I was already publishing my first book with my small press. And about a year later, I ended up publishing book two in November. And I was very grateful for the start 
I got from them. But once I got into the author community, I met people online, I met people who self-published, I met, you know, started to go and write other small short stories and be parts of anthologies and things like this. I started learning a little bit more about, about you know, what it, what it would really entail, what it entails to publish. And I wasn't 100% thrilled with the, the lack of control I, I, I had over small press. As Camille said, I didn't really, I didn't like my cover. It wasn't, you know, I, but I didn't really have control over it. I didn't, um, I wasn't 100% thrilled with the level of editing in my book or the, or the, that I didn't have a choice of, you know, things like dates or, or prices or things like this. So when my original contract expired two years later, I decided not to renew it and decided instead to take pause, to repackage it myself, and self-publish. And then and then I let the second book, Argenta, also do the same. I, now, in the process, I got a, a cover designer, I got an editor, I worked with people to make it the best book I could make it. And I was very, and my sales, my sales, I have to say this, when I was with a small press, I sold maybe a couple of books a month. I have to say, now I sell maybe 50 to 100 books a month. It still isn't huge, but it's much better than I did when I was with, when I was with uh, the small press. And I love the control I have over my publishing process. And I do hire out. I sell hire out for covers. I hire out for editors. I don't spend, however, what Camille says, or anything, or anything close. I do, I format my own books. That I think is a skill people can learn. They can learn your own formatting, you can learn your own. The publishing process is a good thing to learn to do. If you're gonna do this yourself, it is actually a good thing to know how to do this. In the same way that I think it's a good thing for people to learn how to create their own websites. Same reason. Because you don't want to be in control of someone on your outside every time you want to make a change. Learn it, because it's a skill you can learn and then you then you'll be able to change it. You'll be able if some if I find a mistake in my in my book, I can go in and change it. If somebody else is part of that process, has the thing on the part. So I so I really had to learn. I learn. I write picture books as well. And I've learned how to format those. I hire out to my um, illustrator, who's wonderful in Sri Lanka, and she gets my pictures. But I put it together, and I've learned how to do that again because that's the thing. I also, for money, I edit other people's books. And that's been my thing. That's how do I make money to pay my own editors and cover designers, whatever? Well, I edit, I edit other people's books. I have a skill, I have a skill in that. And you also may have a skill that you can share and you can use to make money to help your journey. You know, it's not, it does take a village and and you, you know, and part of the process is also finding good beta readers, people who can pick apart your work. I have some people I love. Currently, I've just finished writing um, book five of my series, and it's currently out with my beta readers. And they'll come back; it'll come back all in red with loads and loads of <laughs> stuff. And I'll go through it, and I'll go through it for months, and they'll, they'll argue back and forth. <coughs> this and blah 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 and I change things and I listen to people listen to my readers it's important and eventually when I've got to that side then I'll send it to my editor and she'll go through it all again and I'll work through it again and I take my time one of the things that kind of bothers me in the indie community is um, how fast some of the people write and publish because again when you do it that and make a ton of errors. You do need all of the processes. You need the proofreading. You need you need to take time to do it yourself. I'm an editor, but it annoys me when I get some people send me work to edit that hasn't been they haven't self edited at all. They haven't been through beta readers, and they expect that what I will give them, they can then go away and publish. No, 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 no. You have to go through it. Editors are human too. You have to go through it. You have to proofread it yourself. You can't assume that I see everything or the editor sees everything. Really important here to make a good product, to, to get 
Um, all of a stigma because there is some stigma because there are some bad, bad self-published books out there. there are, and there's a bad in the in the publisher books out there. So we want that stigma to go away. And the way the stigma will go away is that people produce good quality books, mm -hmm. good stories, mm -hmm. well written, well edited. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's that. What um, to add on a little bit to what uh, what Debbie was talking about? What she did was with her path is you know she had the she had the the book that was released by the, the small press, and then once the contract lapsed and she got control back, then she went back and did a bunch mm -hmm. of edits and were was able to you know get the book more to what she wanted and then get it out there. Um, my own path wound up being kind of the reverse of that because it started out self published. And when I saw that this particular small press, which was the same small press that Debbie and I, uh, that Debbie had wor worked awesome. with as well, um, we had, um, I saw that she was that she was looking for for books. I realized that at that point that I felt like I'd kind of hit the ceiling regarding the self-published version of that book. So I thought it would be good to get it out into other people's hands and see what else you know, like anyone else can do with it. And when she got back to me she basically said that it wasn't a matter of if she was going to publish this but when and so when um when i signed my deal and everything it was in march of 2013 the book was released in november so that gave me a good eight months of the book being completely off the market and it was during that period of time that i reached out to her and i said can i make a couple of tweaks uh, there are a couple of little things that I, you know, that I missed from the first round, and I'd like to kind of, you know, make that little change and everything. She was just like, "It's going to be released as a second edition, so you can do whatever you want." So I basically went back and thought of every single idea that had come up with me to me, like after the initial release, and I George Lucas the hell out of this. I put every <laughs> little idea that I had to basically just try to work with uh, work with what I had already done on the sequel. Because I realized for what I was working on the sequel that my characters were doing things that they couldn't do the first time around. So I was like, well, now they can. So this new edition, the second edition of it, had all of those extra elements to the point where I even reached out to my story editor who had worked with me on the self-published version. Because we were talking about the character Excelsior's sword and how it was modeled after Excalibur. So at this point, I was just like, what if it really was Excalibur? Because we only see, you know, like we only, we've never seen what happened with Excalibur before or after. We only know like that little period of time. And so we went ahead and added that. So, um, so now that's part of the mythology. And it, that wouldn't have happened if I didn't make those changes during that eight month run. So, to ask uh, um, Brad and Camille, were there any um, changes that you guys made during your time with uh, during your publishing time? Um, yeah. Uh, so I am both traditionally and self-published, and what they call a hybrid. Um, I actually uh, have no problems with. Uh, I, I have some issues with um, editors, but in terms of my publishing house, I didn't really have too many issues with them. Uh, my editor actually changed more than I wanted in my book. And that, this is a funny story and a horror story, I should mm -hmm. say. Um, I got back my edits. So you, you turn in your book when you sign the contract, and they edit it, and they send it back to you. Now, of course, it's, this does not happen in a, uh, a quick time frame. Uh, and there's a publishing date. So there's a date that it must go to print. Uh, that date is set in stone, and everything that you do leads up to that date. So... I get about a month or so before this print date, I finally get back my edits. Um, now here's the fun part. Um, my editor had gone through and made some really egregious changes, things that I did not agree with, things about like taking things away from the characters, making characters do things that they would never do in the real world, uh, adding in um, you know, things into the story that should not have been there. And I get this, and I'm at a conference when I get this. So I'm out, I'm out east at a conference, and they're basically like, we need you to turn it back in in 72 hours. And I'm like, this is insane. So I actually went up to the agents and the uh, people there, because I'm like, this book's been destroyed, and now I have 72 hours to fix it. What do I do? And uh, 
their suggestion was, and this is uh, this is actually great advice for everybody out there. The book is yours. Yours is the name that appears on the book. Uh, yes, there is a publishing house on that book too, but you're the author, and everything in there has to stand for you. And they're like, turn it back in the way you want it, and say this is the way the book will be. Uh, so I did that. I spent 72 hours, and I literally uh, part at the conference, part on the plane, and then part when I got home, uh, and completely went through, uh, it's uh, about s almost 70,000 words, uh, and completely undid all the changes that the editor had made, with the exception of anything grammatical or if a comma had been out of place or anything like that. Um, that editor, I can say, is no longer an editor, so uh, I, I actually get to, you know, bask in the glory of knowing that they were really bad um, at their job, and they're no longer doing that job, which is nice. But, uh, yeah, that, that's probably the biggest of the horror stories. Um, the one thing I will say, and this is the thing about traditional versus indie uh, publishing, um, beyond having a team of people who are dedicated professionals in the industry to work on your stuff, uh, it, it really does fall into things like distribution and uh, where, you know, your book being able to be submitted to certain awards, um, getting into certain blog tours, getting into certain review sites. All of that is made much, much easier if you are with an established house. Um, the biggest of the book review sites, um, I can submit to them and I have submitted my book to them numerous times and they have rejected me every single time. However, my publisher submits books to them all the time, and almost every book they submit gets picked up and gets a review and all that kind of stuff. It's just the nature of the beast and the way the industry works. Um, I will say that bookstore distribution is a huge part of that as well. There are, if you are an indie, you can totally go to places where your book will be, uh, you know, can get into a Barnes & Noble because it's in their catalogs and all that kind of stuff. That is not the way most people go. Um, so a lot of independent books, you know, they have to work through consignments uh, and stuff like that. I do not uh, with my own publishing company. Uh, I am just as if I were in public. I literally just created the same thing that my publishing house had. I just published myself uh, for now. And at some point I'll create another company and probably publish other people. But that takes money and I don't have a ton of that right now. So got to wait, you know, I got to make money off the books before I can start publishing other people. But um, because of that, my publishing company is essentially just like any other publishing company out there. I have distributors, I have people who work for me, I do all that kind of fun stuff. Um, so if you're going to do that, there's a whole way of doing it, but uh, as I said earlier, just please try not to avoid the guys on TV. Don't go with any publisher you see on TV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you want to wait for questions, or do you want to... Take them as we're going. Um, we can well once once you go that we can then we can take questions. So, okay, yeah. and Debbie. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, as far as me having to make changes to my manuscript, um, if you're trying to go the traditional publishing route, listen to what ed agents and editors tell you. If you're lucky enough to have them request your manuscript and they'll read it. Um, the first time it got rejected, the guy said, you need to work on character development. And my main character, Sophie, was a witch with a B. And I wanted to do it that way because she's got walls up, emotional walls up. And she just has this past that made her that way. And so I really like the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo books. Mm -hmm. And she, I was trying for that. Well... I'm not there yet as far as skill level whenever I'm releasing my first book. So I worked with a critique group. I can't say enough about if you're just starting your journey, find, and I've used the word journey twice, and I literally have never used the word journey to talk about <laughs> it. Just, so it just so happens that we're recording up. for the podcast called Excelsior Journeys. So the fact I must have, here, all have a sticker. Coming, all together, all right. All right. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, Listen to what they say. Critique group helped me. They would say, oh, I'm just not liking Sophie here. She's such a, you know what? And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll soften her up. I'll soften her up. And so now she comes across more as wounded, and she's got this troubled past and mommy issues. And so she can move past that and work and evolve as a character, you know. So she does throughout the series, and she works out her mommy issues mm -hmm. um, step by step. But... If I didn't take 
that opportunity, making changes to your manuscript, it shouldn't be scary or torturous or terrible. It will make the work better. So mm -hmm. in critique, I changed, I worked on changes and I made the plot more exciting over two or three years, just getting feedback over that time from my critique group because we would submit a couple chapters per month. It's like a 30 chapter book, so that takes some time, you know? And um, then that's whenever I started submitting around that time, submitting to the national contests. And then they loved it in Houston, and that's how I found my um, publisher. So whenever I got the first round of edits from her, I did not have that horror story. I feel so bad for you that you had to go through that. But she's just a lovely editor. She's actually the owner of the company, too, and she's just been so, so, so great to work with. There were things that she wanted me to alter slightly, and I'd go, but, da 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 and explain why my motivation for doing it, and then we would work it out together. Sometimes what I wanted to do would stay, and sometimes it didn't stay, so... Um, that was fine. I didn't originally intend it to be for the romance um, industry, but that's a powerful industry. It sells more books than every other genre combined. And so she asked, I did have a romance thread, and she asked me to amp that up. And I said, sure, I will do that because I want access to these romance readers. And so that was a, <laughs> so that was a big... Um, change that I made. She also started talking to me about external and internal conflict. My character had a lot of internal conflict dealing with all of her mommy issues and other things and big changes in her life. So she unexpectedly inherits a New Orleans voodoo shop. That's a lot to process for a person. She doesn't know anything about voodoo. She also finds out she has a magical power. So she, I had lots of inner conflict going on, but I didn't have like powerful villain forces externally trying to harm her. And so I had one thread and I just amped that up and it made the book better that my editor wanted me to change that. So I added a couple scenes and amped up danger whenever she was with the villain. And I actually developed one other villain too. So that ended up being cool. But um, then the second round of edits tends to be, I'm a pretty clean writer because I have the teaching writing background but like you said, there's always little typos or errors or something. And so the second round is more just, she would tell me, I use the word look a lot. And yeah. she goes, search and find, look. <laughs> me too, that's my And so it's like, you, you, really, that's, yeah. A, yeah. that's yeah. a stronger one. But look is kind of bland. Too often. Okay. Yeah, so she said, you need to change that. And there was a couple mm. others. And then... Um, just little things like um, she wouldn't like using this word or that word, and so that's more sentence level and word level stuff, mm -hmm. so smaller things. And then she would send it one more time just to make sure there's no typos. And so she's checking it, and I'm checking it. So it gets checked like six times by the time it gets formatted. And then you read it one more time, and um, that's your ARC, your advanced review copy, and it's in PDF format harder for her to have to change it so she doesn't want to do edits but if there is like a big typo or any typos that are going to bring your reader out of their story out of your story then you still have to take care of it but by then there should be very very few or none that you know you can find so yeah oh. pick up any book and you can play the mercy on the i know yeah. i know yeah we're in the years games yeah, so sure. so we have a few minutes so we're going to open it up to questions um yes um question i have you were talking about um you were um review or editing other people's work and then you were um debbie was. i'm the editor i'm the editor <laughs> i didn't but debbie does I, yeah i am it no i was i was actually with where you paid people to edit your work and then at the same time you were editing your own book as well? Do you pay people to edit your book because you need to step away from it and be more um, detached from it? You, yeah. you, you, no, you pay people to edit your books because you cannot see your own mistakes. Right. Yeah. I'm, an I mean, yeah. I'm an editor and I'm a writer but I pay an editor. And oftentimes I will get clients who don't get that. 
they all say to me, but what, you hire, you're an editor, you hire an editor? Yes, right. I hire an editor. It's important right. because you do not see your own mistakes, you do right. not see your errors. Right. One thing I do, you're talking about PDF, no, 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 no. When I get to the stage where I've formatted my book and it's been through my editor and everything, I buy a, I go, I go buy a, um, a paperback proof of it and I go through it on paper and you will know that I pick up a book like this it will be covered in post-it notes, even after it's been through. The beta readers, the editors, me, multiple times, and everybody, yet there are still er er errors. Errors get in there, and it gets published. And then your good friends from who are your first readers still find some more things. I am um, one of my... Um, uh, one of my re early readers of one of my books commented that all my um, people, some of my people were mulling around instead of milling. Like philosophers, obviously. Mm. <laughs> 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 and that had been through editors, me, everybody else. So, and that's one of the reasons I really like being self-published because they don't do that anymore in the books. Because I, even after the publication, I was able to go back and fix that and a few of the other small typos that came in afterwards, which was one of my main beeps with my small press, was that they wouldn't have changes. They would say they're too small. They, we'd find errors and they would say, but oh, but there's only 10 of them. Or well, there's a, there's a money cost. Yeah, there's a money yeah. cost involved. Yeah. Once the, the book's um, printed, there's yeah. a cost to uh, re-upload them. <coughs> And you really want to make sure that all that those you know problems are you know like are definitely taken care of because it's a lot less expensive to invest in those costs beforehand than it is to buy a bunch of plane tickets so you can look around over the shoulder of the person who's reading your book and say what I meant to say was this. <laughs> yes, you had your hand up before. So. When you say that you are self-published, are you predominantly using Amazon and the online? So are you both Amazon? I use, um, I use, um, what's well, now KDP yes. is everything now. They just, they're just basically phasing out CreateSpace. So these books were all published with the CreateSpace, but CreateSpace only, as of now, is not going to exist in the future. So it's all going to be KDP publishing, both for eBooks and for paperbacks. Um, I don't buy my own instruments. I use their free. I try and do as much as possible without adding extra cost. I don't have a huge need to see my books in bookstores. I do, they are in some of the local bookstores. I'm in the book house. I'm in one of the Barnes and Nobles around here and stuff. That's nice. But that most of my sales are online. And most of my sales are ebooks. So it's like I will sell, you know, a few paperbacks a month, and a lot of paperbacks when I come to an event like this. But otherwise, not that many. Mostly, it's ebook sales, and so that's, you know, that's as an indie where your most biggest focus is that the focus are. And there's um, you know, the indie charts, the people up there, on the, the the people up there on the Amazon charts, a lot of them are indies that you wouldn't see in a bookstore. Some of the biggest, biggest writers, like uh, Bella Forrest or something, you won't find her in a bookstore. But she's up there and she's making, she's making audience, okay? So it doesn't, there's different, there are different words. It depends, it depends how much you care about that. I mean, when I picture books and my little kid books, those I want to go into stores and I want to put them in the bookstores. But for this, no, not really. Don't really need that so much. Brad? Yeah, so um, I, uh, as I said before, um, I have my own publishing company and out of that, what comes out of that? Um, some of it goes into Amazon's KDP. Uh, if I'm doing like a short story, then it's just going to be an ebook form. Uh, but I actually have a distributor, so I use Ingram Spark, uh, which is one of the biggest, uh, you know, kind of distributors out there. Um, which does mean that I have an upfront cost. Like I have to when I when I submit the book to them to be printed and stuff, there is a setup fee for that. Um, but on the other side, uh, I'm in the catalog which the catalog is this giant mythical book that gets handed out to all the Barnes and Nobles and all the libraries and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, my book is fully orderable. Uh, it is returnable. So if a bookstore buys it, nobody buys it, they can return it to me. Uh, they get a discount. Bookstores get a discount. So they get their standard 40 to 50% off the cover price that they can buy it at. Um, you know, all of that has allowed me to be 
uh, in a wide variety of places around the country. Um, you know, I've done book signings and stuff like that. My books are in bookstores, uh, you know, mostly locally, but there are some there. If enough people have asked for me outside of uh, St. Louis, um, that there actually is a bookstore in D.C. that carries it and that kind of stuff. Um, so there are different paths you can take, and it's just about like I actually have all my I have a block of ISBNs that are which are the numbers you see on the backs of books. Um, those are dedicated to my publishing company, and you know I've got a series of books that'll be coming out with them and stuff like that. So there are different paths you can take. Um, like I said before, I am mirroring the like traditional publishing as much as I can in my own self in my own indie publishing. Yes. Oh. I know that we don't have very much time left at all, and I'm going to throw you a big question here. What are your thoughts on the best practices for publicizing books? It's um, almost like a different, a different panel marketing. Yeah, it's yeah. all about marketing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. marketing is a Online is your friend, panel. and Facebook yeah. is no longer your friend. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, online is your friend, but online Facebook is no longer. No because longer. Yeah. Uh, Facebook yes. used to be a wonderful place for small ads, uh, but thanks to the election, that has basically just evaporated to the point where you have to pay a lot more money and I haven't seen the return on that yet. So yeah. um, Facebook ads are not, I, I'm, I'm actively telling people not to go after Facebook ads until they figure out what they're I doing. I will chip in. My publisher will try to get me, I don't know what they're called, but they're like online email lists. Yep. Uh, my publisher got me on BookBub, which is a the best one, yep. and I sold a ton of books, which was awesome. That would be the one I was talking about earlier, where a publisher can get in there really easily, but as an individual author, it's really hard. Um, yeah. yeah, I keep trying. My <laughs> my highest royalty check came because of that, and um, there's other ones, but that's a great one. Um, also, build your email list and cultivate that. That's your relationship. It's direct. There's no intermediary. There's no Facebook that's going to charge you X Y Z. There's nothing blocking you between you and your readers, so you definitely want to cultivate that and don't abuse the readers by like, I some newsletters it seems like yeah, every spam. single day, yeah, like yeah. just give me a no break, spam. just once in yes. a while, please, yeah. Once a month is really kind of ideal because that Thank way you can get like some really good meaty yeah. content, yeah. and you're not like you're not, you're not just Harassing filling it up people. just to fill it up, you know. Yeah. Though I will tell you the best way you can probably do is to engage your community. Uh, the yes. reading community, and i.e., so you're a sci-fi fan, you're at Archon, you're doing that, you're engaging with people here. Um, you know, I'm a steampunk guy, so I'm involved in the local steampunk guilds and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, and doing that, I'm now directly around my readers and the people who read my books more often. Uh, so I would recommend that kind of stuff. Any other questions? Yes, sir. Uh, what are the benefits of joining a writing guild? Ah, okay. Um, so uh, it's a good question uh, if you were here on Friday we did a great talk on all the various ones so there's like a million in St. Louis um, and there's a giant alphabet soup of them all but uh, basically essentially this uh, if you are writing a mystery novel there is a mystery group out there you can join if you are writing a sci-fi novel there are sci-fi groups that you can be a part of and more importantly if you're part of a writer's organization you're around other writers. Mm -hmm. This industry is constantly changing and it's so big and so vast that you can't learn everything you don't know. Mm -hmm. You don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And the only way you're going to learn what you don't know is from other people who've experienced the same problems and stuff that you're going through mm -hmm. and you'll meet those people at a writer's conference. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a writer's group. It can be an online critique group. It can mm -hmm. be an online meetup group. It can just be an online, you know, passing back and forth kind of thing. Yeah. It can be like St. Louis Writers Guild or uh, any of the other. St. Louis Writers Guild is uh, open to all writers. Missouri Writers Guild is only open to professional authors. Um, you know, people have already been published and stuff like that. But um, so there, there's many reasons. But to be honest, it's about uh, getting out of your solitary sense, and then also yes. engaging with everyone who's around you, who know, who's going through the same thing you are. Um, I, I really stressed, you know, like pretty much, you know, like everything that Brad was talking about. Now, just like during my uh, term as president of the Missouri Writers Guild, because writing is really just the loneliest job. In the world, because you know you can shake hands with as many people, you can you know like, you know hand off you know like your different books to to readers and everything. But at, at the very end of the day, when all is said and done, it all comes down to you sitting in front of a keyboard or in front of a notepad alone. 
yeah. getting out whatever it is in your head. And what we try, what we try to do with the Missouri Writers Guild is we try to make that process. You know, like we try to we try to make the everything else around it as positive as possible. We try to make sure that you know that even when you are alone, you are not alone.